All right, well, knowing that we are going to do all of that, I don't have a full-length sermon here, uh, but, you know, the Spirit may do what He does. But we are, uh, we're going to be in Philippians. Um, we just finished up Esther and Ruth, our series through those. Uh, we're going to do the Psalms through the summer. Um, it's not technically summer yet, so we're going to wait on that. Um, in the fall, we're going to jump into Hebrews, but today, just knowing that we were going to hear about missionaries, uh, celebrate God's work in, in graduates, and all of this, I wanted to connect the dots a little bit and just tie this, all that God is doing through these things in the church and without of the, outside of the church together with, um, with this passage from Philippians 1. Uh, the big idea is joyful partnerships in the gospel. Joyful partnership in the gospel. Now, it's easy to think of partnership in, in, the, in the way of partnerships with those outside of the church, and we're going to do that some with, with people like the Vaughns and our other missionaries. But I also want to have us consider that all that we do in the life of this church and just living the life of faith in community is also a partnership in the gospel. And that's a phrase that, uh, that Paul will use here in Philippians 1. So let me read you the passage um, give you kind of an outline of where we're going, and then we'll look through it. So Philippians 1, 3 through 8 is our main passage for today. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ, Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn, yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Uh, let's just pause and ask God to, to speak to us here. Um, dear Lord, we just ask that you would, um, your word would be powerful and effective in our lives. Um, you would cause it to uh, encourage us, strengthen us, convict us, um, just open our eyes to see you and your grace and your worth um, a little bit more today. Pray this in your name. Amen. Well, what a, as you read through this passage, what a sweet and refreshing picture it gives of what life together as believers uh, can look like, of what partnering in the work of the gospel, can, can look like. And that's what I want to consider today. Um, we need to lay a little bit of groundwork first, because if we were to read this, and we kind of sense this, the, the joy and fellowship and affection and all of this that Paul feels for the Philippians, if we were to read this and say, well, I want that, and then to go out and seek that itself and try to manufacture it, we likely wouldn't find it. There are many things in life that you don't get by seeking the thing itself. You probably know what I mean. The things like happiness and satisfaction and peace, you, you don't tend to get them by just seeking happiness, satisfaction, and peace. They, they come as a byproduct of seeking something else. And that's the case here. We are likely not going to find this joyful fellowship and affection in the gospel by seeking it as an end in itself. 
First, and this is kind of how we'll work through this. First, we have to be captivated by the gospel. Second, we have to be compelled by the gospel. And I'm giving you three C's to help you remember this. And out of that, this captivation and compelled, being captivated and compelled, out of this will flow joyful connection and community in the gospel. Okay, so let's consider these in turn. First, we must be captivated by, God, by, by the gospel. Um, we're going to spend some time in 2 Corinthians before coming back to Philippians. So 2 Corinthians 4, 6 gives us a picture of what it means to be captivated by the gospel. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. To be captivated by the gospel is to be captivated by God. We're not just talking about a, a thing here. We're talking about God himself. It is to be captivated by who he is and what he's done for us in the gospel, in Jesus. As we behold God in the face of Jesus Christ, that is, in the person and work of Jesus Christ, as we behold his life, death, and resurrection, what he has done to make us his own, we see the glory that is the shining, magnificent, compelling perfections of God. As we look at Jesus, we see the glory of God. We see that the almighty, sovereign creator of all and sustainer of all things is also the humble, suffering servant of all. We see that the great and fearful, righteous judge of all the earth is also the compassionate, merciful Savior who desires all to come to the knowledge of him and be saved. And when we truly see him and see our need for him and come to him by faith, we are changed. We are captivated. We are changed. As Paul uses the analogy here, just as at, the, at creation when God said, let there be light and there was light and things changed dramatically, so when we behold God in the face of Jesus Christ, the light turns on. God shines his light in our hearts, and we are changed. God floods our dark hearts with light, and we become alive with the knowledge of the glory of God. And in this, we aren't only objectively saved for some future moment. We are subjectively changed. We, we see that God is good. We see that God is worthy. We see that the grace of God, the power and authority of God, the wisdom of God, we see that everything that he is is not only good and right and true, but also desirable. And so this is what God is doing, and this is what we are about as a church. We are about proclaiming the gospel so that you might behold the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and be changed. To be clear, we are not trying to use any human means and methods to, to get you to come to church, to get you to love God or love others. We're not sitting around talking about how we can make use of human techniques and guilt trips and emotional manipulation to grow as a church or to motivate you. Um, Paul will say earlier in 2 Corinthians 4, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. 
No, our, our, our calling, our conviction is to simply lay before you what God has said about who God is, to help you see it and pray for God to change you through it. This is why we preach through the Bible, trusting God's word to do the work. This is why we sing songs that are laced with scripture and truths about God. This is why we pray. We pray for God to radically and fundamentally change hearts through his spirit, through his word, by his grace. All of our attempts to do the work of ministry or to live faithfully uh, for God will be fruitless unless we are first captivated by who he is. And that leads to the second point. We must then be compelled by the gospel. So if you could turn to the next chapter in 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verses 14 to 15, we read, For the love of Christ controls, or it could, could be translated compels or urges us. The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, all should have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So because of Christ's great love for us, because of the willing sacrifice, the great and terrible sacrifice for sin that it led him to make, because he willingly died in our place, we are compelled to no longer just live for ourselves, but for him. We are motivated and empowered to live in a radically different way than the rest of the world. Not just for our own advancement or sake, but for him and his honor and his glory. We seek in everything we do to do it all to the glory of God. And not just because we feel we ought to. Not just because we fear what God might do if we, if we don't. Not just because we wonder what people will think if we don't. No, but ultimately we seek to do all things for his glory because we have beheld who he is and what he's done. We've beheld his great grace and worth and mercy. And we see that there is no better response than to live for his sake. Now, just one of the many aspects that we are compelled to live differently is, is in our fellowship and our love and our unity with one another as believers. We, we gather together as a church to spur one another on, to encourage and exhort and, and disciple one another. We celebrate communion each week as a, as a sign, as a testimony to our unity both in Christ, our identity in Christ, and our unity with one another. The gospel doesn't just change us vertically between us and God. It also changes us horizontally. We are brought into a family, into a community, and new relationships. And this is what Paul is talking about in Philippians. So third, and finally, as we was turn back to Philippians 1, having been captivated, having been compelled by the gospel and radically changed inwardly, We are then connected by this gospel in joyful partnership and joyful fellowship. Uh, just consider again some of the phrases from this passage. 
Uh, I'll read them to you again from Philippians 1. As Paul reflects on his relationship with the Philippians, this church that he had planted, hear his affection for them and his joy in thinking and praying about them. So verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. Verse 8, I yearn for you with all with the affection of Jesus Christ. What a sweet and tangible picture of life together as God's people. What a sweet picture of the fellowship, the joy, the unity, the the mission, the shared mission of the people of God, of the connection we have with all of those who have been similarly captivated and compelled by the love of God. We know that life within the church is not always easy. We know that it is often hard. We, we all know this. We daily de- deal with sin and suffering in various ways, both our own and that of others. But there is also a sweetness to it when we are truly grounded in the gospel of God's grace. When that's our focus, when that's our motivating power, when that's our ambition. And here's the thing. You can't manufacture that. Like, like I was saying, you can't just set out to seek that feeling of fellowship and find it. Uh, Dietrich de Bonhoeffer speaks wonderfully to this in his great little book, Life Together, which you should all read. Wonderful book. Um, he says this, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. He goes on, just as the Christian should not be constantly feeling his spiritual pulse, so too the Christian community has not been given to us by God for us to be constantly taking its temperature. Like, how are we doing? Are these people life-giving? Am I getting what I need from this community? No, the more thankfully we daily receive what is given to us, these people, the more surely and steadily will fellowship increase and grow from day to day as God pleases. What he's saying is that this sort of joyful fellowship and partnership in the gospel is a byproduct, comes as a result of being captivated and compelled by God as we begin to to live that out in community. It is something that comes wherever there is a shared commitment to the things of God, to the ways of God, to the mission of God, because we have beheld the goodness and worth of God. Where sacrifices, you know, a a place where sacrifices for the sake of God are understood. Where living for future joy and glory and comforts is understood. Where discipleship is a priority, where evangelism is a priority, where seeking the glory of the Lord in all things is a priority. We're not In talking about Christian fellowship, we are not talking about just coming together over natural affinities, common interests, common life stages. 
Thankfully, we are a diverse group of people in many ways. And that's what God intends, to bring us together because we have been similarly captivated and compelled by the God of the gospel. For most of you, as you work this out, this is being worked out in your daily lives, not in full-time ministry or missions. It's your, your being captivated and compelled by God is being worked out in, at home, in marriages, in parenting, and at work, at school, in friendships, in neighborhoods, in church involvement. For others, this is also borne out in full-time gospel work, either as pastors or as missionaries. But the common thread is that the gospel compels us. The love and worth of God compels us. We are connected and united by that. And so I want to draw your attention to some of the specific ways that this can happen, that this is happening even among us. I want to point out some of these partnerships in the gospel and what that looks like within the church community. Um, these ways that just as Paul is giving thanks for the Philippians, that we ought to be giving thanks for what God is doing. First, let me just point out a few of these partnerships outside of the church that we have. That we have. By God's grace, we are connected with a number of individuals and, and groups that are doing gospel works in various contexts. So we heard from the Vaughns, and we have the great opportunity to hear what God is doing through them, to be a part of the journey of God calling them, um, to support and pray for and just be involved in their lives. Um, it's been great to have them a part of this fellowship for a few years before they send out, and we know them. They're not just, you know, faces on a card. We know them. They know us, and there's affection and joy there, and I mutual giving thanks to God. We are connected with uh, Josh and Amber Harrington in Papua, Indonesia. Uh, some of you got to meet them as they were here on sabbatical last year. We have a relationship with Andrea and Ricardo in Mexico, and as Hans was praying, we have the opportunity just to strengthen that uh, relationship this next week. We have a relationship with Pete and Cheryl Williamson in Yakima at Great Commandments Ministries, with which some of you have been a part of and have, have benefited from, uh, this discipleship program for young adults. We are connected with other churches, three-strand churches, some churches in the NAB uh, association that were part of local churches that are preaching the gospel and discipling people in the gospel. And we can be encouraged that we are not alone in all of this, that we have these partnerships in the gospel. But I also want you to consider what it means to be partners in the gospel within the life of the local church. Just within your daily living, what does that look like? What does it look like to have this sort of affection and joy because of how God is working among us? And so I'm going to use the, Paul's words here just to draw your attention to some of these ways. So Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. As I think about and consider this church, I am thankful uh, because of all the people that God has brought here. Uh, some of you have heard me say when we planted the church a number of years ago, I had some idealistic notions about, well, I grew up here. I know a decent amount of people. I'm sure lots of people would love to be a part of this church. 
That's not how God worked, thankfully. Um, God brought all of you from various places and showed that it would be him who was building his church. And that is a reason to give God thanks. I thank God specifically uh, that God brought many of you who are older than me and some of you much older than me who are not only willing to commit to a young church plant, but also to be taught and shepherded by an elder and, and, and multiple elders that are a lot younger than you. That is evidence of God's grace. I thank God and all my remembrance of you for the hospitality that this church shows. Um, that's, that's something that you can't like draft up in a plan for a church. Like, we're going to be hospitable. Um, and it's not something you can guilt trip people into doing. You guys are just hospitable. You pursue one another. You seek to care one another. You, you don't just come to church. You seek to be the church during the week. Um, you sacrifice yourself and give of your time and schedule and, and resources to care for one another. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you for your, the willingness of this church to just stay committed and faithful to one another for the glory of God um, through difficult situations. It, in, in the life of any church, there are, there are difficult situations. There's hurt, there's misunderstanding, there's offense, there's sin. And there have been many examples in this church of us pressing in and pursuing one another through these things and showing forgiveness and grace. Um, that's a testimony to the fact that we are held together by something real and meaningful. That we are seeking the glory of God over what is easiest and comfortable. I thank God in all my remembrance of you for those who have and, and continue to just fight well and faithfully in, in marriages, especially when at times that has been the harder route. I thank, am thankful for the ways the church has come around those working through marriages as together we just keep our eyes on Jesus and seek to honor him. I am thankful for the elders that we have and their willingness to sacrifice their, their time they make sacrifices at home and in their personal life to, to serve and lead and teach and be examples to this flock. There's a huge joy to, to me and I hope to all of you guys as well. And I could go on. There is, there's much evidence of God's grace among us. And a big part of this sermon is just to encourage you with that just to encourage you that there are many reasons to give thanks to God with joy for what God is doing in and through us. And we should regularly do that. And so I exhort you and encourage you to just keep doing what you're doing and keep God at the center of it. Keep God as the motivating factor in that. Um, be careful, as Bonhoeffer warns, not to shift your focus from loving and serving those around you to just loving some idealized notion of what that ought to look like. Not some dream of community, but actually loving the community that God has given you. And then leave the results up to God. You know, our feelings of intimacy and comfort and connection will come and go. There will be easy times. There will be hard times. Relationships will deepen and then be tested. There will be times when we naturally yearn for one another with the affection of Jesus Christ and times when we feel like we need a break from one another. 
It happens. But if the focus is on being partners in the gospel, because we are mutual partakers of grace, having been compelled and captivated by the gospel, if it focuses on giving glory to God and doing the will of God together, and we know that we need one another in that, we will do well. So be encouraged. Yes, there are always things to focus on and and things to, to work on, but we should also stop and give thanks, as Paul does here, for what God has done and is doing. Um, and find joy in that. Let's pray.